In the summer evenings we've been looking at psalms based around the six days of creation. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 19 later, but let's listen to the, uh, the fourth day of creation from Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 to 19. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. We're going to sing a new song. I'm going to ask Anita if he'll sing the first verse through to us, and then we'll give it a go. It's 1937, let the earth resound with songs of praise for the Father's power and love. Um, our reading from Psalms tonight is from Psalm 19, verses 1 to 14. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Last week, Sue and I got back from a couple of weeks in North Wales. And while the rest of the country was seemingly basking in a second round of the heat wave, 
we had weather more characteristic of the great British summer. Lots of cloud, a little bit of rain, and the occasional day of sunshine if you made sure you were on the right side of the mountains. There was the odd day when I looked at the weather map and saw sun everywhere and a little dark cloud over North Wales. But when I looked at the temperature and saw that we were in the low 20s and everywhere else was pushing 30, I decided that the weather we had up there suited me because it was not a fortnight of sunbathing, which I would have found irksome after about an hour or so, I suspect. Though Sue would have been quite happy with that. So North Wales was a good choice, I think, on my part. Down here, Rob and Mim said they were burning their hands getting the poles out uh, to set up tents to test them for Soul Survivor this week. It was that hot. Whether people will still be talking about the summer of 2018, like we still remember the summer of 76, remains to be seen. Perhaps it will depend on whether such summers become more and more the norm as a result of global warming. We shall see. Whatever the case, this summer has left us in no doubt at all about the power of the sun. In some parts of the country, archaeological sites have been exposed as a result of the heat wave. Across our front garden, a long strip of grass has died, betraying the presence of a waste pipe, not all that far below the surface of the ground. The sun is amazing. It's 109 times wider than the Earth, but 330,000 times heavier. Despite that, it's completely gaseous and has no solid surface. Its composition is 74% hydrogen, 25% helium, and 1% other gases. Scientists tell us that the sun formed approximately 4.5 billion years ago and still has another 5 billion years of burning left about halfway through its uh, lifespan. It will see us out by a considerable period of time. The temperature at its perimeter is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. When you get to the core, apparently it's 27 million degrees Fahrenheit, which is pretty hot and goes a long way to explaining the summer that we've just been having. And we are undoubtedly completely dependent upon the sun for life. NASA makes the point that without the sun's heat and light, the Earth would be a lifeless ball of ice-coated rock. The sun warms our seas. It stirs our atmosphere. It generates our weather patterns. It gives energy to the growing green plants through photosynthesis, and these provide the food and oxygen for life on Earth. Light, life, warmth, they all come from the sun. We are dependent upon it. In the ancient world, Israel's neighbours in Egypt worshipped the sun. They had three different solar deities. In the myth relating to the voyage of the sun, God over the heavenly ocean, the sun sets out in the morning as the young god Hepa. At noon in the zenith, it's the full-grown sun, Ray, and by the evening in the western region, it's become the shape of the old sun god Atum. The sun was perceived as the sovereign ruler of both the upper and the lower worlds as it majestically visits the whole of creation on its daily course. The sun bestows light and life to all of the cosmos. 
And with his unblinking, all-seeing eye, he was perceived as being the stern guarantor of justice. And with the almost universal connection of light with enlightenment or illumination, the sun was also perceived as the source of wisdom. When we look at Psalm 19, in the first half of the psalm, we see the sun making his daily rounds rising at one end of the heavens and setting at the other, nothing is hidden from its heat. But there's no suggestion that the sun makes this journey as the sovereign ruler of the universe in this psalm. The psalm is not compared to the majesty and splendour of the living God. Actually, the psalm almost seems to damn the sun a bit with faint praise. It's compared to a bridegroom emerging from his wedding tent, to an athlete winning a race, which is a glorious event and it's thrilling to behold, but only at a human level, really. It's as if the author of the psalm is acknowledging that, yes, that the sun is truly amazing, but let's not get too carried away. In terms of creation, it's on the same level as we are, actually. Something God made. In the creation story, the sun, moon and stars appear on day four and we hit the ground on day six. Don't make the mistake of putting the sun on the same level as God. God is the creator. The sun is created. Does that somehow downplay the significance of the sun? After all, we are dependent upon it for life? Well, well, maybe it does. Without the sun, we wouldn't be here. And the psalmist, were he here, would retort, yes, but without God, the sun wouldn't be here either. One of the quirks of the creation story in Genesis 1 that is, although light appears on day one, the sun, which is the physical source of all our light, doesn't come onto the scene until day four. How light worked on the first three days, I have no idea. But it is a factor in the story of creation that makes life difficult for people who want to argue that the six days of creation follow the order in which the universe evolved. The sun, moon and stars appearing on day four means manifestly that cannot be the case. The creation story is structured very differently. God brings order into a chaotic universe in the first three days. Light banishes darkness on day one. The water is, is separated and put in its place by the sky on day two. Dry land pushes the water back further on day three. And then having made the space of the heavens uh, and, and the sky and the sea, God populates these, the, the the sun and the moon reign in the heavens on, on day four. Um, the, the fish fill the sea and, and birds fill the air on day five. And then the land is populated with animals and people on day six. But the upshot of this arrangement is that the sun is never the ultimate source of light and life. God alone is. So credit where credit is due and honour to whom honour is due. If you experience a heart-stoppingly beautiful moment on a moonlit night or at a sunrise or a sunset, you know who to thank. 
The beginning of Psalm 19 puts it well. The heavens are telling the glory of God. We should listen to Handel for this, really, shouldn't we? The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Anywhere you go in the world, the heavens may speak to you of the wonder and majesty of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge in every part of our world. No matter what language is spoken in that corner of the globe, their voice goes out into all the earth. And their voice of praise to God and the revelation of the knowledge of God is apparent to all people. Without words, the sun, the moon, the stars and the heavens speak to us about how amazing our creator is. And our almost involuntary response is one of awe and amazement and wonder. And with faith, we can add gratitude into that mix as well, because we know it's no accident that it is so amazing. The glory of the life-giving sun points us to the greater glory of the living, life-giving creator. The sun and the moon were placed in the sky to rule over the night and rule over the day, but they were appointed to do so by the God who created them. How much do we see God in nature? It depends on your perspective, whether you're willing to look for him there. Apparently we've appointed in the UK our first humanist lead chaplain in a hospital. And she's been talking about how actually the role of a chaplain is to listen and to meet people where they are. And spirituality involves a lot more than believing in God. And humanist spirituality includes connecting with creation. And you don't have to believe in God to be amazed and nourished and helped by looking at creation and seeing how brilliant and fantastic it is. You don't need to believe in God for that to happen. But faith opens a window whereby through creation you can see something of the living God. And for other people that window is firmly shut. And there's a whole dimension that they don't see or don't recognise. But the psalm makes it clear that if you want to understand this God, you need more than a sunrise or a sunset. You need to turn to the scriptures. And that's the message of the second half of the psalm. Psalm 19 is a bit of an enigma in as much as it divides neatly into two halves. The first half celebrating God in creation, the second one extolling the virtues of the Jewish law. And some people have wondered whether we have two different psalms cobbled together here. But if in the ancient world some people revered the sun as the source of enlightenment and wisdom then we see what's going on here in the psalm. It's a bit of a polemical point that's being made. It's not the sun, but the law of the Lord which brings life to the soul. You don't get wisdom from the sun. You get it from God's word. 
And the sun, well, it may be a source of joy to the heart and light to the eyes, eyes, but really, if you want real joy and real light, you find those things in the Scriptures. The sun does not and cannot do any of this. Life, joy, wisdom, light, these things come from God and are revealed to us in God's word. And if you want to understand God, the God who made everything and the Son included, it's through scripture that we get to know who he is. So we might be nearer God in the garden than any place on earth, as the little ditty puts it. But if you want to understand the God that you're close to, then the scriptures are the way to get to know him better. Nature gets us off the ground, as it were. The majesty of the heavens may inspire us to worship God. At night, when we look at the moon and the stars, we may be overwhelmed with awe and drawn with another psalmist to ponder on our insignificance in the universe and wonder why God bothers with us at all, microscopic dots as we are on a tiny planet. The sun may be the brightest, most splendid and powerful thing we will ever see. And the sheer beauty of a sunset or the glory of a sunrise might prompt us to say something like, God, that's amazing. But who made all this? Who created the beauty that stops our hearts and gave us the capacity to enjoy it? Why do we exist at all? Where do we find the light, the wisdom, the joy we need to make the most of life? You won't find the answer to these questions contemplating the heavens, nor can science provide the answers with all due respect to the brilliant insights of our cosmologists. The meaning of life is not found in a sunset, but in the scriptures. And if the revelation of God in Scripture surpasses what we can know of God through nature, then the testimony of Scripture to the way which God has made himself known through his Son, Jesus Christ, provides another quantum leap in our understanding of who this God is. Because in Jesus we encounter him not just as our Creator, but as our Saviour and our Redeemer. And God ceases to be some abstract, unfathomable, unknowable, distant being who created everything, but a God who is personal, who we can know as part of our lives. So the psalm ends with a prayer addressed to the Lord as my rock and my redeemer. In creation, we may be inspired to worship and recognize God as our creator and to think, actually, we are part of his masterpiece, and there's a privilege in that. But there's more to who God is than that, and more to who we are than that as well. Because the God who made everything that we know is concerned about you, personally. You are on his agenda. You are the object of his love and his compassion, his concern and his care. 
Entrusting your life to him means that you can encounter him as your redeemer. The God who can turn our lives around and get them on back, a tra- on, back on track again when we go wrong. Who can set right past mistakes. Liberate us from the past. Claim our lives and make something of them. The God who wants to write on our hearts by his Holy Spirit the law which gives us new life which imparts to us wisdom and joy and light. And those who put their trust in him find that he is their rock, a God who does not let them down, but one who provides a solid foundation for their lives in a changeable and unpredictable world. So yes, the heavens are telling the glory of God, but if you want to know this God, you find him through the scriptures. And if you want to know him as your redeemer and your rock, you find him in Jesus. Let me leave you, leave you with the words of Ralph Carmichael's song. I've quoted them here before, but they're always worth repeating again. I'm not going to sing it, though. Um, but the song goes like this. In the stars, his handiwork I see. On the wind he speaks with majesty. Sure he ruleth over land and sea, but but what is that to me? I will celebrate nativity, for it has a place in history. So he came to set his people free. What is that to me? Till by grace I met him face to face. Till by faith I met him face to face. Then I felt the wonder of his grace. Then I knew that he was more than just a God who didn't care, who lived away up there. So now he walks beside me day by day, ever watching o'er me lest I stray, helping me to find that narrow way. He's everything to me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that with eyes to see, we can see you in so many different ways. In the splendor of creation. In the love that we give and receive. In the company of these people as we come to a worship service like this. as we read the scriptures and find our hearts strangely moved. And as we meet Jesus, your risen Son, our Saviour and Lord, thank you for making yourself known as our rock and as our Redeemer. And Lord, as we leave this place, we make the closing words of the psalm our prayer. May the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts 
be acceptable in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.